accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're continuing our run through DS9 coverage. We are up to Armageddon Game, which is episode 13 of season 2. Aired on January 30th, 1994. Uh, teleplay goes to Morgan Gendel, Iris Stephen Bear, and James Crocker. Story goes to Morgan Gendel. Directed by Weinrich Colby. In this one, O'Brien and Bashir help to get rid of two races, uh, help two races get rid of their biological weapons. However, both governments want to make sure no technical knowledge of the weapons can survive. We're joined by Amy for this one. How are you? Good. Hi, everyone. <laughs> We're going to talk about Armageddon Game. We're right in the middle of season two. You haven't seen a DS9 in a little while, I don't think. No. Um, and this is a pretty good one. I think you watched a bad one previously. I can't remember. I don't think you've seen a lot of good DS9 to this point. No, I've seen a couple of good ones. I think the last one I, I liked better than this one. Oh, whatever the last one was. We'll, yeah. have, to, we'll have to look it up. But I think that the... Uh, we'll take a break. We'll play an audio clip. And me and Amy will come back. And we're going to break down Armageddon Game. Commander. I have Dr. Bashir for you on subspace. In here. Commander, we have some good news to report. I've already heard. You have? Yes, I received a message from both the Chulani and Kelleran ambassadors informing me of your success in neutralizing the harvesters. Congratulations, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. But the doctor here deserves the bulk of the credit. Actually, it was a team effort. The doctor's just being modest, sir. He was the one who came up with muon rays as a possible solution. Luckily, it worked. When can we expect you back? Well, soon, I hope. The ambassador said something about a celebration on Tulani Prime. Yes, it's set for tonight, uh, but the chief is quite anxious to return back to the station. Well, it's been a long week. Still, I think we can spare you for another day. I agree. If that's okay with you, chief. I suppose another day won't kill me. That's the spirit. Then we'll expect you back day after tomorrow. Yes, sir. Enjoy yourselves, gentlemen. You burned. All right, here we go. Armageddon game. Middle of season two. Stuff is happening. Characters, we're getting to know them. Biological weapons are firing off. Everything. <laughs> and O'Brien is drinking coffee in the afternoon. Um, people are changing. People are changing. <laughs> lives, lives are turning. Everything like that. Um, yeah, so you, you said before we went to the break, you didn't like this, this episode as much as whatever the last episode was that you watched, which um, I find a little bit surprising. So why don't you explain? I I mean, I liked watching this episode. It was entertaining until until the end. And then I just, it was like The Departed. I was like, why did it end that way? Kind of thing. I just didn't understand. There were a lot of holes, I think, in the in the two races. And their plot. Plan. You know, they, they could have avoided all of it. You yeah. know, they didn't, they, they didn't have to ask Starfleet officers to help destroy their weapons, but they like went out of their way to do so only so that they'd kill them and spur the anger of the Federation. Well, I think they, they needed the Federation to destroy the weapons. They didn't seem to be able to do it. Bashir came up with the way for them to destroy their weapons, right? So that's okay. They need the Federation's help, obviously. obviously. But I don't, I don't think they needed to kill them. They could have just been like okay thanks guys for the help and then the federation probably wouldn't have given them a second thought and then they could have done if they wanted to kill each other if they wanted to kill the talani scientists who were helping i mean it still doesn't you know it's 
doesn't make that much sense to me, but at least you don't involve a third party. Yeah. But they, so I, I take the, we wrote them, the Talani and the Kelrun are like obsessed with getting rid of this weapon, right? Like they're, the like whole thing is to get rid of this weapon that's been destroying them for centuries or whatever they've been fighting yeah, with Yeah, they're like, other. let's create peace by slaughtering, <laughs> slaughtering innocent people one more time. Well, I mean, you made, it's, it's <laughs> the, it's the peace that comes from, uh, from enough bloodshed, I guess. But I mean, you made, you made a point while we were watching it. It's like, they've only known war for so long that they would. Yeah. See this as a possible outcome. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem really with the, um, with their plot because I, I see it as the, the, they needed the Federation to destroy these weapons because they couldn't do it themselves for some reason. They had, they had built them so well that they needed a more advanced society to come in or something and fix it for them. They kill all the scientists who know anything about it in the, in those alien cultures. And then they try to kill Bashir and, O'Brien, because they're the last two that know anything about it. The um, we were kind of wondering about like the whole the the whole in the plot about well why don't all the Talani kill each other all the time because they, everyone seems to know. But I, I guess the understanding is that the scientists are the only ones that know what's going on here. Like and they've deleted they like purged the internet of any kind of reference to this thing. No one can ever build it again. Um, no one can build these bombs by browsing the uh, the the dark corners of the internet or anything like that. And O'Brien and Bashir just kind of have to go. I thought it was okay. I don't... Um, it feels more like... Th- those aliens to me feel more like a setup than anything. Like, the, the they exist really just to sort of drive the episode. It's not particularly well thought out. I think that the... What's actually most upsetting about the ending to me is the fact that they're just like, oh, they got away. Yeah. And then they just... They kind of give up at that point. Yeah, the... If you're going to make... I mean, I understand if you're... If they want to kind of open up this complex idea about like how you bring about peace between two societies that have been at war for so long at least spend some time building the characters of the ambassadors you know they're so they're so shallowly written in this episode and they're the drivers of all this that you uh, are they just really bad people i mean i I mean i don't trust that those societies are going to even survive without war because of how because of their thinking and they you know and then at the end, and if they're just going to shrug their shoulders at the end when they know that the two of them got away, why even try to kill the them in extreme. the first place? Yeah, in the first, I mean, my I, my big problem with it is they just kind of like, oh, they got in the show, or they got in the other runabout and they escaped. And then it's like, you never see anything yeah, just, come yeah. out of it. They, it goes back to Deep Space Nine and you see everyone's back to normal. But I think that the, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not really an episode about the aliens as much like this is it's pretty much an episode about the Bashir and O'Brien relationship um these two are going to go on to be they become like the best friends of the show like they're, they're sort of like the this sort of the like the one of the patrons I think just remarked that they were like the, the most realistic portrayal of like friendship that Star Trek has ever seen and at this point they aren't really all that um kosher with each other they have a they've had a couple episodes where they interact with each other but not really this is seen as like the sort of the starting point of that where that sort of develops and so i think that the the lack of like the alien culture examination is fine it's kind of like wishy-washy if the episode was all like that it wouldn't be particularly good but i think that it shines because it brings in that kind of relationship and i think that their scenes are written pretty well with each other I would agree. Yeah, that, that's why, I mean, I enjoyed watching the episode up until the last five minutes. 
because yeah. I liked the scenes between O'Brien and Julian. But we always thought in the um in TNG, TNG got into this template where they would have a character story and they would add a B story to it and the the character story was always like this like emotional interpersonal conflict and then they'd add a sci-fi B story onto it to like give you an A and B story in a single episode and in those character episodes it always became kind of laughable on TNG that the sci-fi plot was never particularly good it was like they kind of just had two lists of plots and they stuck them together randomly and that would be kind of a bad case for the episode I don't think that this one is that bad but I think that the sci-fi angle is not quite as good in this one and the I think the I think the idea was good. They just didn't execute it well. Yeah. You know, I like I think the the premise of it is okay. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't like mind a, it. They just they just morality kind of, play about nuclear yeah. weapons or whatever. Yeah, and like how the Federation will inevitably play a role in it and because of Yeah. So I, I think they just dropped the ball, I think, on sealing it up and making us really kind of care about that conflict or even about the ambassadors who spearheaded this whole thing they just it, it just, they, those two were just pretty empty characters to me yeah that you know um but yeah i think the the o'brien and julian friendship is is like based on honesty from the get-go i mean o'brien they well they don't they they, they couldn't be more different and yeah and they the don't idea, they don't like, like each don't, other really well i think no i think like julian is like so eager to please yeah he's like well, i mean how, how, how old do you think bashir is supposed to be yeah, he's he seems like he could be in his like late twenties or something. He is in his late. He's twenty eight, I think, at the time. So yeah. someone did mention he's he he mentions in the first season he's twenty seven, so he's twenty eight at this point. Um, I watch it and I don't get the age difference really. O'Brien seems older to me. He he is supposed to be older. I'm pretty sure the. I don't know if uh, I think it's, I think he goes by the name Sidig at Alpha Deal at this point. I don't think Bashir. I don't know how old the actor is playing Bashir at this point. Um, but I, I I always watch it not really getting the uh, the age difference outside of the way that they act to each other. You get it from the dialogue that they have because O'Brien is like the sort of world-weary, like seen-it-all, doesn't-expect-big-things kind of realistic person. And Bashir is the overly optimistic, like shoot-for-the-stars, yeah. sleep-with-a-bunch-of-chicks character. And uh, O'Brien's married, obviously, so that's like the, the pairing off between them. But they... they I mean, the the sense is that they, this is an episode is that's kind of a turning point because they don't really like each other at the start. They have the very good scene where um, Cisco's like, "When are you coming back?" and Bashir wants to stay for another day. Yeah, and uh, Brian's just like, "Oh, <laughs> it's, it's that it's that horrible situation where the other." It's, yeah, that made me laugh. That was a good like. What's the um? Just reminds me of that. Remember that British Problems show? Yeah, that we used to watch. Yeah, this, yeah. This, your parents have. That was a good one about um. Just the guy who, the, it's like, it, it hit me so hard. It's like a truthful thing. It's like when you're staying at your in-laws, you're reliant on your spouse to be like, well, it's time to get the fuck out of here because you you, you can't yeah. just tell your in-laws like, well, I've had enough of you guys. I'm going to get the hell out of here right now. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm I, in that scenario, I would like totally be the, You'd be the like, one who, I'd be the Julian. I'd be like, well, it's fine. Like, let's just stay. And you're, you would be like, oh my God. One more day won't kill yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I'd totally be that. So I think that the um, that scene is really good. It sort of sets the course for them. But she wants to stay behind and party. O'Brien has a wife and kid at home that he kind of needs to go to. It kind of shows the um, now that we have uh, or now that we have a spouse and kid, it kind of shows you the um, it's a little bit of like insightful into the 
the people without kids mindset where it's like you can they kind of need to remind her that you have to uh, you have to go every once in a while yeah um but that's a good setup for those two they solve the problem they've solved the problem they want to stay for a day and then they get uh attacked and they beam themselves into basically some kind of hut in the desert or something where they're going to hole out until cisco can come and rescue them and then we have a bunch of scenes of them talking about marriage and bashir's lost love life and stuff like that so what do you think of uh those two in terms of this episode yeah i like those two i think it, it's definitely like a good foundation for it to go somewhere else i can believe that they could build a friendship on that i think those are the kinds of friendships that are always interesting to watch because they you know, they're, it, 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 they won't be, like, mushy towards each other. You know, it, it's always just going to be O'Brien, O'Brien's inability to put a face on things and him just to be a, you know, straightly tell Julian, like, shut up, you're being annoying right yeah. now. Like, you have to stop, like, kissing my ass. It's okay. Yeah. And then Julian, like, his lack of self-awareness. Yeah. It's mean- always, like, you know, O'Brien will you know, show that to him. So I think it's, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the scenes with the two of them. Um, I think I like uh is it Cole Meany? Is that yeah. I always I like his I, I like his acting. Yeah, he's a good actor. I think he's um I, I wonder if he's ma- I wonder if he's a good actor or if he's just kind of playing himself in this role. I haven't seen him in too much other things. He's been in like AMC's uh Wheels on Fire, I think, is the other series that he's known for. Um and he's in the commitments, which we've seen, but he basically plays a oh, he's angrier, the dad. he's an angrier version of O'Brien. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's fine if you can do it well. Yeah, if you're cast that's fine. If you can, yeah. if you can make it seem effortless, then in that role, then that's fine for me. Yeah, so I think that he's maybe not a um, maybe not a great actor, but he's very effective at playing himself in this situation. And O'Brien is the uh, the everyman character of this he's supposed to be like the audience's perspective into this world in some ways because he's the most um grounded and things like that yeah not not necessarily career driven just yep good at what he does solid at what he does doesn't complain and i don't think they mentioned in this episode what's what's unique about o'brien is that he's not commissioned so he's not a officer so he doesn't actually have any rank for them um so like sheer how ranks him and everything like that Um, how did o'brien get such a high-ranking post, or he such a, a such like a well-respected post, I guess, not a high-ranking. He's but. just he's just like a engineer, basically. You can be a non-Starfleet engineer. I would think so. You don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think there's any reason that you need to be like go to officer school to have a engineering job like that on a on a station like that. You know, maybe on the Enterprise it makes more sense because you need like chain of command in that kind of situation, which there is on DS Nine, but. I don't know if his role needs a uh, like a naval school academy graduate to come out of it. Got it. No, I mean it seems pretty important. His position. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's he's like Jordy. Yeah, basically. Yeah, he is. He's what was he? He's chief of operations. Chief of operations. Of that, so, so. Ops is uh, data. Z. <laughs> you're looking. You're looking. Excuse me. I got the. <laughs> data, data is the uh, the opposite. He's more like Data, except less. Um, he doesn't sit in a, in a chair like Data does. I think that the um, the what's funny about bringing up Data, Data and Jordy are like the other friendship that we can have before that. But Data and Jordy's friendship is not really realistic in a lot of sense, mostly because Data's a, a robot, so they have they always have that sort of awkward pairing about like Jordy has to show Data what's going on. Uh, TOS maybe Spock and Kirk and Bones. 
I don't really, you don't really get the friendship. I know the movies tell me that they're all friends and everything, but you get more like those guys are just coworkers who get along or and they always sometimes. they always have to deal with crisis together. So they're constantly just problem solving together. Those three, you mean the yeah. Kirk Spock? Yeah, and... because yeah, yes, it's a different dynamic between Julian and O'Brien because they wouldn't naturally come together. Right, the work the work isn't personally. driving. Yeah, yeah, the work isn't right, and that's the TOS point. Is like the work is driving those guys together. Data and Jordy is kind of a, now that we've gotten out of TOS, it's like not they're not that their friendship isn't that interesting on some level. It's more like a or like a science fair project just thing like and, it's. Yeah, and you can't do too much with data. The nature of data's character, he's he can't have learning those how to be human. Though. You know, he can't have that kind of. You couldn't have a, a talk about marriage conversation with Data, and if O'Brien was with Data down on this planet, it's like, it'd be or, a totally different episode. Or have the thing where you're friends with someone whose traits you find annoying, yet you still like come to care about them, and you have to like you you come to care about them despite their annoying traits. And I think all of us have friends. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that you, you always, you're constantly having to look beyond that. And like, you, you realize like moments after you're like, oh, shut, like, shut up. And then yeah. you're, you're like, oh, I love them. Like, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think great. that's, I think that's why this is the first one that's really shown like a, a potential to be irritating by, or irritated by your friends, I think is the reason that the, the Bashir and O'Brien thing, they, they have a great chemistry together with each other. They, um, you know, they are opposite but also both endearing enough where it works that they make sense on some level um and and i think my the biggest problem to me with the episode is that it's kind of melodramatic in a in a few ways that i don't really i don't really like because we're, we're going to get to the patron thoughts about what people thought but there was a um there's a, gen, a general undercurrent of people not thinking that the crew handles their potential deaths well enough and i thought that um, the staff meeting where Cisco breaks the news to the, all the other, like Odo, Kira, and Dax are in there. He breaks the news. I thought that was good. Like, and I, I, I understand because Starfleet's basically a military organization, so they should be kind of used for this kind of thing. Like, they have to be professionals about it. The Keiko scene is not particularly good, um, mostly because Rosalind Chow is, or uh, I think it's Chow, Rosalind Chow is not the best actress that the show has. So it's kind of tough to put her in that position. It felt too understated. Her reaction to it. yeah. Where she's I like, just didn't quite believe that she would be so. She reacted she, like she had irradiated him herself. Like she, or like she, she reacted like, like a soldier would react, like Kira would or something, yeah. you know, where you are. And we're setting up the fact she doesn't want to be there. So she's not that kind of person. Yeah, know? I would, I would expect, I, I wasn't expecting that reaction and that's, you know, Cisco got more choked up than I think she did. <laughs> yeah, I think all four, I think all four of them did. All like, you know, that their their reaction was more moving to me than hers. Yeah, and I so I that's always going to be a kind of a weakness, and I I don't I like the the quirk Kira and Dax at the bar that scene where they quirk buys gives them the free drinks and they sort of says as like a toast to O'Brien and stuff like that and share. I thought that was pretty good. I just think that the the. I don't think they undersell the drama or the grief that they're going through. I almost think they kind of oversell it on some level because we know we know that they're alive still, but it's also the episode is not really about dealing with the grief. Right. So it's it's in this no man's land of like I don't know if these scenes are necessary. 
but they kind of are just because two people did just die and maybe we should have some scenes about dealing with it. Well, like, and, they're, and they're important enough characters that you should care that they would make some kind of an impact. Right. So it's kind of one of those Star Trek episode problems where it's like, are there too many plot lines? Like if you, if you had an episode that you did, you wanted to do that stuff and you just like Bashir and O'Brien were like locked in a closet or something like no one could, you know, it's something like you don't see them for a long time. And then you deal with like how the characterization works about grieving for them is one episode. And then there's this other episode where you see everything that's happening to them, but you don't want to waste too much time with the grief process because it doesn't really matter in the long run. Yeah, unless unless Cisco, I mean, you, I I was getting the sense initially that Cisco was just going to be super skeptical about their story from the get go, and that you know he was just going to doubt the truth of it from the beginning. I mean, and, and you know he's going to tell his officers obviously like this is this is what happened. Yet at the same time, coming up with ways to try to figure out what really happened, but he never did. You no, know? he doesn't really have a reason to be suspicious of them. I guess so. I mean, it's kind of a. He he did. It's kind of a. It would be a scenario if someone told you that you'd be like, "Really? Like it's just kind of like the the weirdness of people just coming up and be like, yeah, those two are dead. Like, sorry, we just we came by to tell yeah. you this. Like in person, we didn't send you a, an email or anything like that or make an announcement. Yeah, we had this like deathly security system that we had no idea existed. It exists, yeah. So I I don't know. I don't. I don't mind that, and I actually like the grieving scenes outside of the Keiko scene, so I don't really have a problem with it, and I don't know if they really could have fit much more into the O'Brien Bashir stuff, because we get the full story from then, too. So I don't I don't really have a problem with the way that they did this. It's just kind of one of those things about, like, there's a lot of storylines going on here. Maybe it would have been better to focus, maybe not. Yeah, and I think it... And I, TNG had this problem, too. It's like when you try to take on a complex storyline like this... It's like they just don't quite in the time allotted, like don't quite know how to handle all of it. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're, you're just going to, you're left with kind of these like mediocre scenes. And then you, you know, glad that at least the acting, like the strong acting of like, you know, Julian and, and O'Brien kind of carried you through. And then also the, the scenes on the, um, the, station. The, the station were good also. So you, you kind of have these strong performances that carry you through, yet you just have to, you know, I was just like shrugging my shoulders like those, like the plot at the end just, I was like, oh, it knocked just, it down yeah, for you. It did. I mean, I just, I, it, it makes it seem so trivial. Yeah. I think, I mean, yes, they don't, they, they don't have time to spend on any gravitas for that situation. So it no, doesn't really but they want to take it on. They obviously want to examine it, but they don't quite know how to like, bring it home see i don't i don't know i don't even think the episode is really interested in like the uh analogy of like disarmament i don't think it's really about that like the episode isn't really interested in like why they're i mean obviously it's good that they're disarming their sort of chemical biological weapon industry but the the episode isn't interested in the um the outcome of that except for being just a macguffin of this is what's going to drive the action here you know what I mean? So I don't know if it's fair to expect them to do anything with it. I do agree that it's kind of unsatisfying by the very end, but I don't really know that they were missing anything of like an explanation wise or like an examination into it. I guess so. I mean, I like maybe I'm just thinking because I'm more familiar with TNG, but it's like if you're going to, you know, examine something as complex as the Federation's role diplomatically. Yeah, I mean, their role is they're going to be involved in these other nations and settling things. 
and in bringing about peace. I think, but that would be a totally different episode, right? If they wanted to approach it from that angle, like the conflict would be something else. The conflict would be like a one side doesn't want to disarm. And what does the Federation do in that case? You know, because there's no quagmire yeah, here for the Federation. True. They're like, both sides are like, yeah, destroy Except they were just oh. used as pawns by, by no. those two. No, they weren't used as pawns. They were like. Yeah, they were. They, I mean, they were. They knew they were. The Talani and the Kelleran knew they were going to kill them. So they were just. They were. It could have been anybody, but they're like, oh, well, we'll just bring these two Federation people in to help us. And then we're just going to have to kill them at the end. Yeah, but it's not. They're not pawns because they're important to fixing the problem. Pawns would imply that they're, like, um, being, like, carelessly used. You know what I mean? Okay, they're being set up. They're, but, but not re- they're not really being set up because they, the, the aliens need them to get rid of the biological weapons. Yeah, once they use them for their purposes, then they're going to kill them. Yeah, but it, I think the, the, <laughs> the setup would be they want to kill them, so they set up a trick to get them there but okay. there's no real trick like they're, they're actually want to they want to solve the problem and it's unfortunate that they have to kill them i guess at the very end except in my opinion they don't have to kill them it was like this <laughs> this like thing that they decided to make more complicated and then at the end they were like ah fuck it it's fine they're not going to come back <laughs> it's why it's so it, this is silly to me yeah i mean i don't mean to like dismiss the whole episode because i did enjoy watching it i just i, I found that just like eh. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I. I think we just we have a disagreement about the um, the reason for them to be there. I guess you know, the reason for O'Brien and Bashir to be there. You don't think is important enough for? No, I think it's important. They needed to. They needed to destroy the weapons and help destroy them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the Talani and the Kellerin had to have them killed because it just opened up a can of worms. Yeah, that they did not have to deal with because once. Once Julian and O'Brien were beamed back on the ship, the Federation would be like, peace out, like, good luck with your future endeavors. Like, they wouldn't have checked in on them again. But it's too bad the, um, they're not a race of aliens, like a lot of races of aliens that have, like, a mind-wiping technology. It would have been a lot easier if they could have wiped their minds, I suppose. Yeah, good that's, call. That's, that's, that's not... They seem to not really know how to deal with their technology. Well, that, that, could, that could have been the other outcome if Bashir is like, you know, I can wipe my... Because TNG has shown that you can like selectively wipe people's memories. So if it was like, oh, just we'll wipe yeah, our minds and no, no one can, no one will know about this. But as you say, only a seasoned Star Trek person would have been able to come up with that. That's right, baby. You should have been on the writing team. So, as but what the hell was I going to? I mean, yeah, that's the that's the other solution. But as you say, and as you were saying through the whole thing, I think it's important that the the aliens have been fighting for so long that they only know that yeah, you have to run flawed. in and shoot people. Yeah, they, well. That's all they know. It's like their 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 flawed their flawed perspective is is born of this, you know, life of war, like a century of war. So you know, it's they're not all of a sudden going to understand diplomacy and you know how to kind of deal with things peacefully. They they bring about the end of war with innocent bloodshed. Probably could have been a more violent looking race. They seem like a pretty seem like pretty. Yeah, okay. they, they look like flock of seagulls. They do look like flock of seagulls. <laughs> they look like good people to me. <laughs> and they ran. Um, so we're going to take a break, read some patient thoughts. Sure. Right, want to do that? Okay, sure. so we will play an audio clip. Me and Amy will be back. We'll give patient thoughts. We'll give our final thoughts. We'll call it a day. 
We may have had our differences, but I'll say this for them, and it's the highest tribute I can think of. They were good customers. They always paid their bar bills on time. That's it? I'm not done yet. At times like this, I'm reminded of the 57th rule of acquisition. Good customers are as rare as latinum. Treasure them. As always, guys, if you support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and they get read on the podcast. Any uh, level of support on Patreon lets you do that. Um, But yeah, so we'll get to it. So Holly McLaughlin writes... He writes, I think the grief is underdone, losing two beloved crew members in one blow, especially a family man leaving behind a fatherless child, would have hit the crew harder. Yeah, certainly the grief is underdone by his wife, who's <laughs> supposed to love him best of all. <laughs> well, the, I, she doesn't even know his coffee habits, which that was kind of a funny Yeah, we didn't actually even talk about that. End. I guess we can insert that here. The um, do, you, uh, do you feel like you know enough about the O'Brien relationship to talk about them? Have you seen them enough? Uh, not really. So the the O'Briens are weird because they are constantly... It's very rare that they're shown as like a loving, supporting couple. Like they're usually bickering with each other, um, which is the undertone here of the whole chief backstory where he's like, Keiko doesn't want to actually be here. I feel very bad. He doesn't feel very bad, actually. He's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> we will be fine alone. That's good. Um, but I guess like... Why do you think the show would struggle showing a relationship like that? Because this is the only relationship on the show. And it's and it's kind of a funny thing throughout Star Trek. Not a lot of the characters are in relationships. Well, I think and well, I think Julian kind of hits the nail on the head and that's been the reason why most character you know, career staff leaders aren't, because the life doesn't lend itself to it. So right. There's like no time to be intimate because you're you're constantly being called off to to risk your life and do other things. And I think everyone understands that there's just this inherent risk and loss in it that why would any, like, why not just have like, you know, fun sex with flock of seagulls. Mm-hmm. That seems better. <laughs> stay, stay for a day. I mean, I, I think it's, I think that makes sense, but couldn't you say that about people in the military and they all still people in the military get married all the time. You know what I mean? It's it's funny to me that looking at it's something that you don't I don't really notice until I think about it. But there's not a lot of relationships in the show, which maybe is indicative of the people who are writing it. But like when they write relationships like this, it always comes off very odd. Like the, the O'Briens, I don't find to be a believable married couple on a lot of levels. Like they're very they they seem like a twenty something year old writer's perception of what a marriage would be. Just yeah. in how they interact. And she's not a particularly good actress. So it's like, it's kind of like everything is t- kind of dragging everything else down. But I think that they, they don't do a very good job here. Although I kind of like the meta joke aspect of she doesn't really know. She doesn't really know what, him. He, what he does. Yeah. Which that like, you know, as a married person kind of made me smile where I was just like you, <laughs> as much as you claim like, oh, I know my husband, he would like never, he would never do that. It's like. It kind of puts a twist on it, like yes, you, you it, don't really know. And it also fixes the problem that you could say that her noticing the coffee thing is too weird of a detail for her to notice and be like, oh, come on, that's kind of bullshit. So when she is wrong about it at the end, it kind of saves that a little bit and makes it like, oh, that's kind of like, that's cute on some level. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I liked that twist. But I, I mean, I, 
I don't know the show enough to be able to talk intelligently about why they don't write in romantic relationships. I mean... Well, they write in romantic relationships. They don't write in long-term, quote-unquote, like, steady or marriage. But maybe it's more like effective to have relationships like, you know, Cisco's profound loss of his wife, you know, because of just the inherent dangers of, of what they're doing. That he, I mean, he experienced great loss because of his choice of career. Mm-hmm. He starts I, a relationship in the show at some point. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not proving you, I'm not saying that you're wrong or anything, but I think that they they start to change it a little bit. And I like your explanation about why they, that makes sense for Bashir, right? Bashir not being married kind of is, that's his explanation. He's like, I'm off being swashbuckling Starfleet doctor out on the edge of the final frontier. Um, but for a lot of the others, Cisco's wife is dead, obviously. So that's like, that's an acceptable, <laughs> acceptable reason for her not to be around. But the others um, make a little bit less. Odo makes sense, I guess. Kira kind of makes sense. Dax I guess they all have reasons why you could see them not being in relationships like that, but um, just the the fakeness of the O'Brien relationship kind of sticks out to me when it's the only example that we have. Yeah, it just it's it's lack of nuance. You mean? Yeah, it just doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like a real, not even a marriage. It doesn't feel like a relationship. It doesn't feel like those two even know each other outside of like the scenes that they interact with each other. Yeah. Um, they just, it feels a little bit forced. You can go to uh, the immunities one because he responds to Holly, I think. So immunities and audio yeah, drama by Zam Nuclear Wessel. Um, he responds to Holly and he says, I agree they're not playing the grief full force, but I think there has to be a compromise somewhere because we're going to lose these people multiple times. Agreed they might not have hit it right, but I also wouldn't want a full blowout every time this happens. Maybe Starfleet teaches a course in deferring your grief until you abs- you're absolutely certain your crewmate isn't coming back to life and i mean that's true i mean as viewers you know as viewers you know they're coming back and i think that in in universe they're supposed to be professionals like this is basically the military they can't be they can't be losing their shit every time someone yeah i I did not mind i thought cisco was appropriately grave Mm -hmm. and respectful about it i mean he has to handle it i mean that that didn't i didn't have a problem with that it's just keiko keiko's the keiko's the weakest link in the entire thing yeah, like I, I would even be okay with like an understated. If if she if I could believe that she was a strong woman like that, if she was like a right military wife, who's yeah, been prepared or, for or this. like a, a military person herself who knew who was constantly faced with the fear of loss, then I could I could believe that she would, you know, be able to finish Cisco's sentence. But I just I wasn't that wasn't like a believable. No scene, Way to write her. No scene with Molly either, the kid. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Probably interesting. couldn't probably would not have been a good scene is the reason that Yeah, they maybe didn't she do it. just totally shit the bed when I mean, they and, made and, I mean, that, it out. Molly's like five or something at this point, so it's it's tough to get a five year old to give any kind of a yeah. good performance like that. Uh the next one. Mildly entertaining this is Stephen Kalb. Mildly entertaining mystery thriller, but Miles never had a second cup of coffee at home. Um, that's in quotes. Yeah, is, is a quote from Cato. Yeah, it's a good a good twist. It has vegetable vegetable oils and caffeine. Wouldn't that be tea as well? Did she not? Yeah. Did she not disprove what Cisco had asked for? Kira had asked if like maybe he was. It could have been tea. Yeah. But at the same point, why? Why bring? Well, that was a weird point for Kira to bring up because tea would also keep you. Well, tea has caffeine in it. 
Yeah, he doesn't drink any caffeine. Well, maybe it was just he just doesn't drink caffeine at the end of the day. Right. That, that's that would be my understanding of why you don't drink coffee. So why is Kira like, oh, does he drink Coca Cola? It's like no, he doesn't drink he doesn't drink caffeine. Oh. Keeps him up all night. Next. Next. Uh, Kyle Barrett, a quietly brilliant episode and one of my favorites of the second season. O'Brien and Boshir's relationship is fantastic, and while it's often just played for comedy, as in the rivals. Here, the humor is mixed with genuine emotion. The twists and the scenes at the station are great, too, except for Keiko, who proves to be the weak link. Rosalind Chow is probably the weakest actress on the show, and the coffee thing is a tad too ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. Kyle didn't write a joke for you to stomp all over this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd agree with Kyle. Um, Yeah, I think so. Um, Chow is the the weakest link. It's tough to write episodes that have to deal with that, so they kind of try to avoid it whenever possible. Um, she's good in some situations. They in Rivals, they had a good relationship because it was kind of played for a um, goofy supportive role, which was necessary. Next up, Joint Mango, um, and then Armageddon Game is good. The show sure has a storyteller on this episode. O'Brien must suffer too, which is always terrific. It becomes kind of a trope on the show that O'Brien must suffer. He's in a lot of episodes that have him, um, like sick or sick or emotionally hurt. traumatic or yeah, something's gone wrong. He plays it well. Yeah, he's good. Uh, Matthew and Ross. I enjoyed this one, although I did find the alien motives a tad bit too smirch like on killing everyone. I don't know what smirch is. Yeah, I don't know I, if you know if that is either. I don't know. I, um, I think it's a Babylon 5 reference, judging by, uh, like Matthew's previous like, wish, like wishy-washy. I don't. I actually don't know what smirch means. It's all capitals, right? If it's wishy-washy, I would agree. And everyone I heard harvesters, and every time I heard harvesters, I could not help but imagine tiny little tractors inside people's bloodstreams. I also think of tractors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the interaction between Bashir and O'Brien firmly cements their rivalry slash friendship. Overall enjoyable, and the tension of getting caught on the planet and having O'Brien get really sick was interesting and a good romp interesting how brian just kind of fell into engineering interesting happenstance just like keiko guessing about the coffee lord help us if my wife has to guess what amount of coffee i drink one thing that always amazed me and fits into the usual um st trope is that the command staff has to go and do stuff naturally the chief medical officer and engineer have to go to this place naturally the command crew cisco and dax have to pick up the runabout i guess ensign is it ensign ricky i don't know who that ensign ricky was busy and again, he's just saying it. like a generic underling character isn't the one going out and doing these things. Yeah, but it never was in any of the no, other shows. Right. It's just, always someone pointing. important. He's just pointing them. Yeah, the, the goofiness of like, it's always important people to do things. Yeah, then we wouldn't care if it wasn't. <laughs> and again, falling back into formula, we never see or hear of the Talani again. Yep. Yeah, again, yeah. They'll just. Did, I mean, that's kind of a unique problem to DS9 because you think you'd see them because they can't be that far from the station on some levels you think you'd run into them again tng it makes sense that you never run into these people again because you just never go back to that part of the galaxy like you're right constantly yeah yes yeah. d9 is is stationary yeah so ds9 always kind of has a weird situation like that where they meet an alien race and then they never talk to them again because it's like well they should be right there right next to you yeah yeah you think they'd be have constant communication with certain allies and yes that kind just, of thing. they'd know the neighborhood which they they do kind of get into that a little bit um but that's it. So thank you very much, patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for your comments. And uh, we'll give it our ratings now. So on our one to five scale, Amy, what are you going to give this one? Um, I think give it like a solid 3.5. 3.5? 3. 
Uh, 3.6. You're giving it a 3.6? No. Oh. I'll, I'll give it a 4. Um, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's... Wow. On, on, my, uh, on my scale, I think you could show that episode to somebody. I think it's kind of a weak 4, um, but I think it's a... It's a. It's better that we've watched some average episodes in the past couple of weeks, and this has been a better than average episode. I think. It has. It is better than average, and you're, you're right. The the scenes, the O'Brien Julian scenes are are worth good. it, and they're, and they're gripping. Like I, you know, you're watching it the whole time. If it was a show about the aliens and their plot, it probably would have been a three. You know, that's that's a very generic Star Trekky thing to do. But um, I think that the it's good enough as it is, I think, uh, enough to give it a four. It's a week four, but I think I'll give it a four. You'll give it a 3.5? Yeah, I'll give it a 3.5, but it could just be my my lack of knowledge of mm. of the series that can, affects my ratings. You can, you, can give your, you, can, you can give the episode whatever rating you, uh, rating you want. I know, but you know, you just... Giving you the stink eye? Hear it with caution, or mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a grain of salt, I guess. Uh, that's about it. So I'll give it a four. Amy will give it a three. That's Armageddon. Five. Three point five. <laughs> Amy gives it a three point five. are important. They, have a, <laughs> they add up. They do. Um, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah, for better or worse, you end up with a harvester syndrome after a while. One day you can explain to your listeners what a point five means. Sure, I'll leave them hanging for uh, for right now. Um, let's see here. That's about it. Thank you guys very much for listening. If you want to support the show and you enjoyed the content today, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars a month, you can either leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, you get extra podcasts, you get the vlog stuff that goes on there, blah, blah, blah. All the social media will be linked below, Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, and then we have our list of patrons. You support the show as soon as the internet comes back here. There we go. If you support the show at the captain level tier, you get a little shout-out at the end of the episode, which I'll read through now. Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Nathan Elliott, uh, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Venler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Tarek Latif. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show. It's much appreciated. And anything else that we have to say? I have to... Um... Thanks for helping us put food on the table. That's right. Thanks for helping me pay the electric bill. Um, Discord. I did set up the Discord, so I linked the Discord, which is basically like a Skype chat room based thing, to the Patreon. So if you guys use Discord um, in any sense of the the word, you can log on to the server. There will be a link in the video description, and you can leave comments. And people have already started doing that. I'll post uh, the episodes, and then you can just sort of comment there. It's just an easier way to stay in touch, I suppose, and uh, it's more of a chat room type thing. So. If you use Discord and you want to leave some feedback, you can do it there as well. Because I think I'll try to shut down my Facebook and uh, commenting a little bit. There's too much, too many sites that you have to visit to keep updating all the time. You're looking at me like I'm an insane person right now. No, I I, I agree with that. No, I think that's the uh, so that'd be good. Discord, Patreon, and uh, Twitter are the best way. Oh, YouTube, I guess, is a good good way to comment as well. You know my feelings on Facebook. Yep. Yep. Instagram. Follow Amy on Instagram at uh, deletedaccount.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I think that's it. So let's see here. Oh, 
non sequitur thoughts we end each episode now i don't know if you know this because you don't listen to the show but we uh oh i listen to the show we we do uh non sequitur thoughts at the very end so you can just talk about something very briefly if you have anything that uh, funny or weird that you want to talk about um do you have anything else you go you go first i'll try to i didn't really think i couldn't really think of anything um or i didn't spend time (laughs) this horrible look um i don't think i have anything really did we do anything is this non sequiturs about the episode or just like it no just about your life whatever's going on whatever you got whatever you got happening you know i don't have too too much happening except (laughs) i hang out with a toddler all day so my my uh my brain cells are just slowly dying every day it's it's now like 8 30 at night uh we're fading the kid is asleep and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I have. A, I, I feel like I have to have something. Well, I'm actually, happen. I'm kind of thinking about the fact, like going to uh, the funny scene between O'Brien and and Julian, where like Julian wants to like stay and party and um, mm-hmm. flirt with some Talanis. who weren't that attractive from the ones I saw. They were fine, but they weren't. We didn't get a good sampling. We we, we know, got one we, right. We saw one. I don't even the woman, just the uh, the one that's like in command of the ship at the very end. Oh, she's. She was, She's attractive, she was but Kelleran, right? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know the difference between those two. They might as well be the same thing. Their hair was... Anyway, go, go, go. But uh, just the... Uh, yeah, the, and applying... applying uh, comparing O'Brien to us, the, the work of, of staying out late. Like, I have dinner plans tomorrow night. And as I look at the clock, I'd be like, God, I'm like, I would just be getting to the restaurant now. How am I going to survive? I'm so tired. And I kind of... Um, I guess There's the, my non sequitur. I guess my non sequitur would just be that uh, we'll keep it parent themed for like the Molly. And this isn't a Molly centric episode. Molly's not actually even in this episode, but we'll keep it uh, O'Brien themed where um, he's uh, the baby is now getting through. He we went through like a sleep regression for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months or something like oh, that. It felt and like a couple of years. It's, it's hard to call it a regression when you spend like a quarter of your life like that. So um, yeah, just the if anyone. If anyone's curious, I guess the, the worst part about having a kid really on, like the only bad thing is their sleep regressions to me. Like the, the, the incredible pangs of sadness you feel when it's like two 30 in the morning and he's just in the other room and you're like, you motherfucker, you go back to bed. Yeah. I know. I kind of turned into a zombie monster. I think that was my, one uh, of my lowest points as a human being. Yeah. The angriest you've ever been when you, when you shook your child and said, why don't you go back to bed? You, you <laughs> yeah. son of a bitch. No, I... Yeah, well, in my defense, I was working a lot of night shifts. I was on like three weeks of nights. I mean, no one, no one cares about your excuses. But yeah, that's but the. Yeah, uh, I was. I. People I, complain. I about, did shut our bedroom door, and I was like, I can't listen to. People complain about <laughs> diapers and like feeding them. It's like that's the easiest stuff in the world. It's only the interference of your sleep is like the the hardest. Besides, like having to figure out how to like take care of them if you have to work during the day. But it's like I'm talking about like on an emotional, like traumatic level. Yeah, it's the really, loss of sleep. Loss of sleep is probably the worst thing. Yeah, that's what I that's what I tell people when they're like, someone asks me like, what is like the biggest? And Becca and my friend Becca and I said the same thing. Like a, a girl asked us, she didn't have kids yet, but she was like, what was like the greatest change in your life? And I, you know, after having children, I think she was expecting us to say something moving and profound. And we were just like, you're just tired. You're really tired to the point where you like don't have control over how tired you are and you like can't really fix it. <laughs> and, and so... It's kind of a, um, it's like a low-key sleep deprivation 
torture session. It's like he's basically like a little uh, little military guy who's playing like rock and roll albums outside your bed. Yeah, and he would do this weird thing recently, where, like where he like wouldn't like he'd be up like what like every two hours screaming, mm-hmm. and then he'd wake up at six and he'd be like, "Oh, hey guys!" Like yeah. he was like so happy. Well, that's what happens when you sleep thirteen <laughs> hours as a toddler. People should uh, get used to it, I guess. Not 13 hours straight, but just 13 independent segments of hours that you sleep in. Anyway. But having children is really wonderful. Everyone should try. That's <laughs> We'll call it there for a day. We'll call it there for an episode. We'll be back with uh, Whispers, which will be the first patron guest episode. Me and Clay and patron Neil will be cool. podcasting about uh, Whispers. So you can look for that. Uh, the episode after that, which will be Monday. I think we're recording this weekend. Yeah, we are. So it'll be Monday. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Amy, thanks for coming on. Thanks for tolerating me, guys. I will be back soon. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.